I love hearing stories and people's testimonies of how they've met Jesus for the first time. And it shows you a bit more about the person and it shows you a bit more about God, doesn't it? When you hear how he meets and reaches people. And for me, it reminds me of when I first encountered Jesus. So I didn't grow up um, in a family that went to church. But when I was 15, I... um, I had a guy who was a trainee vicar from a Bible college. He came into my school, and um, we'll refer to him as John, because that, that was his name. I don't, don't actually feel like it's my place to change it, so John, John it is. So John came in, and he, I'd, heard about, I'd heard about Jesus, as in I'd heard of Jesus, but there was something about John's story that really held my attention and I remember going home and at the end of the week after mulling over lots of these things on a Saturday night I I said a prayer I said God if you're real if this is true and if this is relevant to me because I wasn't really up for just joining like a church club sort of thing but if this is real if it's relevant to me then show me and I thought he'll either get back to me or he won't So I left it at that, and then I remember the Sunday afternoon, I was sitting there, and I was doing my homework, and I was listening to the radio, and this song came on from a band called Banderas. Now, as a 15-year-old, I was listening to that, and I listened to those lyrics, and I just thought, wow, those are actually pretty deep. (laughs) And I looked at those coats, and I thought... Well, they're pretty cool. (laughs) Didn't get myself a coat. But I did think, do you know what? This song would be a really good one to sing in church. Now, I wasn't going to church, but because I've I've always got good ideas for other people, I thought, now, if the church wanted to be really relevant, they could use something that's being on the radio, being played in the charts at the moment, to get people to think about the purpose, the meaning of life. This is your life. This is not a story. This is your life. All that sort of stuff. So I remember thinking that would be a really good one to sing in church. And then the Sunday evening, I went along to the local um, youth group because I'd heard that this guy, John, was going to be there and I wanted to hear more of his story. So I went along and there were some people from school and they looked at me and they're like, "Uh, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, what are you doing here? And um, I wasn't really the sort of person that would sort of pitch up at church, so we were all a bit surprised. And And then I listened to this guy and at the end of the little meeting, just in this woman's house... He said, right, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And um, so we, I thought, oh, okay. I was, just, I was intrigued. I thought, well, I don't really know what that means. But So we stood up and we started praying. Uh, closed my eyes, kept just one eye open out just to sort of see what was going on. And then he said, I feel like God's given me a few words of knowledge. And he explained what they were. He said, a word of knowledge is something that God has shown me that I wouldn't otherwise have known. And then he said a few out. And people were a bit like, oh, yeah, that's me. And you could tell people were really responding. And the Holy Spirit was really impacting them. Some people were just sort of gently crying as they felt some sort of connection with God. So I was sort of interested in this. And then he just said, and I feel like, I feel like, God is saying that somebody here wants to sing in church. And so I was looking around thinking, okay, who's going to own up on this one? Nobody said anything. And I thought, oh, too bad. You can't get them all right. <laughs> and, um, and that was it. And I went home. But that Monday morning, I woke up and I remember it. I, I woke up like, you know, when you're fast asleep and then you wake up sort of straight away, you're instantly awake. I sat bolt upright and it was like God was joining the dots for me, obviously a slow learner, joining the dots 
of the prayer that I prayed. Show me if, you're, if this is relevant to me. The thought that I had about this song would be a good one to sing in church. And the word of knowledge. Somebody here wants to sing in church. Because I didn't get it. I didn't string it all together. But that moment, Monday morning, I woke up and it was like he joined all those dots together. And at the same time, I felt an experience of the Holy Spirit. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was filled with this amazing sense of joy, like elation that I'd never felt before, and this incredible sense of love. But more importantly, I felt known. I felt like God knew me. He was said, he said, I know you. I know your thoughts. I know your passions. I've heard your prayer. And at 15 years old, it wasn't like there was lots of stuff on the outside of my life that dramatically changed, but inside there was a reset, and it changed my perspective and my hope for the future and I was just I was I was excited to be able to tell somebody when something like that happens you just want to tell someone so I jumped down off the bunk bed I was on top bunk jumped down off the bunk bed went to the phone and I just went to call someone it's like I had to tell somebody what I just experienced what had just happened and that's what happened with the woman at the well in this story So Jesus is wanting to get from Judah to Galilee. Now, there was an established traditional route that Jews would have taken to get to Galilee that avoided Samaria because they had had a history with each other. There was animosity that went way back between them. So actually, Jews would rather take the longer journey around Samaria than go all the way through it. And yet, in this passage... In chapter 4, actually, if you, look at, if you look at verse 4, it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, I don't think it was because he had some important meeting to go to or get to, and that time was a bit of an issue. We can tell that. If you, if you look at verse 40, that's evidence of that, because he actually stayed in Samaria two more days, so reading that later, later on in the chapter. But I think he was prompted by the Holy Spirit. He was prompted by the Holy Spirit that he needed to get to Samaria, on that route, to meet someone that he deemed important. Now, the story that we've heard is clear, that this woman was far from important in the eyes of her community. In fact, she was isolated and she was ostracized. She was marked out as immoral, not important at all. Because in those times, women would go either in the morning, early in the morning or late at night to go and gather water. And they would always go together in groups. They'd go in the morning on the evening because it was the cooler part of the day. So the fact that this woman was going at the hottest part of the day on her own said an awful lot. It said that she was alone because of the lifestyle choices she had made, had made her an outcast, even to her own people. She was looked down upon and she would rather do the necessity of collecting water at the hottest part of the day on her own than face the daily shame in the reflection of her community. So she arrives at the well, she gets there, and Jesus is there waiting for her, ready to meet her. And he asks her for a drink of water. Now her response is pretty direct. I think if you're into Myers-Briggs, I'm pretty sure she'd be a T. Because she says, you are a Jew, I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? So we know already that Jews and Samaritans didn't engage in conversation, but also in that culture, a man wouldn't engage with a woman in public without her husband being there in conversation. So actually already Jesus is crossing a cultural barrier after cultural barrier in order to meet this woman. And Jesus, in a few lines, initially starts conversation, 
about everyday things, about water. And then he moves it on to talking about abundant life. And then he moves it on again to talk about everlasting life in just a few exchanges. And then Jesus says, go call your husband. And kind of when you read that through, you think uh, there's a massive shift there in, th- in sort of theme of conversation. It just sort of feels a bit erratic. What was Jesus getting at? Well, Jesus was wanting to get to the heart of the matter. He was wanting to get to her heart. Essentially, he was, he was giving a word of knowledge when he was saying, go and call your husband. Because her heart had taken a battering from her history. She'd had five husbands. The man she was with at that point wasn't her husband. And there's sadness and shame totally wrapped around all her relationships, past and present. And Jesus simply revealed that he knew exactly who she was. He knew her story and still he invites her into a new one, into his story. A story of forgiveness and acceptance and friendship and unconditional love. And so friendship is, so you could describe it as to know and to be known. I mean, I think it takes a lot of time and effort to get to know somebody, but it also takes a lot of time and courage to be known, to be fully known. I watched this film um, called The Circle. I don't know, some of you might have seen it. It's got Tom Hanks and uh, Emma Watson in it. And it's about a woman who, lead, who lands a dream job at a powerful tech company, and she uncovers a corrupt agenda that will affect the lives of the whole of humanity. And so this company that's set in the world of social media and a compulsive oversharing, um, the company boss, played by Tom Hanks, he gets up on the stage, and it's very much sort of TED Talk-style um, arena, and he delivers this speech in which he says, "'Knowing is good,' Knowing everything is better, to which she gets rapturous applause from the arena. And then Emma Watson's character, May, she agrees to wear this small camera, like a little badge. It's tiny, it just kind of pins on her clothes, and so that she can expose her life to the entire world. And she's hailed a hero by her colleagues. They're all like, woo, yeah. And she's like, so, you know, there's a massive celebration that May is going fully transparent. But inevitably, this kind of transparency, this kind of social media transparency without boundaries, without privacy, has a detrimental effect on her relationships. But I wonder how you feel at times, whether you ever have that thought that crosses your mind of, if if that person really knew, if that person could see everything, if I, gosh, if my life was fully transparent to everyone, you know, with that sort of sense of shame, and fear around fully full transparency and being completely honest and completely open. I know I do. I resonate with I was thinking, gosh, yeah, I I resonate with that sense of shame. Before God, we are all fully transparent. We're all fully transparent. He knows it all. There's nothing we can hide from him. But still, knowing our story, knowing your story, he waits to meet us. He waits to meet you and he invites you into his story of forgiveness, of acceptance, of unconditional love, of abundant life, of everlasting life. Jesus highlighted the Samaritans, the Samaritan woman's past so that he could illuminate her future. He speaks of a promise that she need never thirst again. And whilst hanging on the cross, 
just before he died, Jesus said, I am thirsty. He chose to take our thirst so that we don't have to. And often I think we can try and quench our thirst in the wrong places. Um, I've, got this, I've had this thing in the past about, um, about Jaffa cakes. Um, here's a Jaffa cakes, in case you don't, don't know what they are. So I might eat one and then two and then ten. Um, and then, does anybody want Jaffa cakes, actually? Does anybody fancy? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try, try and throw it over here. Watch your heads. Oh, not bad, not bad. So, you know, one and then two, and then I think, oh, I've moved on to ten. I think, oh, you know, as you can testify, there's 12 in a box. So there's two left, that's messy. And, and also, there's that sense of, if my family found two, they would say, well, where are the other ten? And then I would have to just explain myself for being quite selfish and greedy and eating ten. So what I decide often, most of the time, was oh, I'll just push on through. I'll just push on through. Because um, I think perseverance is a good quality. And um, i push on through and I'd eat the whole lot. And that way I could just get rid of all the packaging and nobody would really know. No questions asked, you know. So, so I'd often do that. But, you know, it took me a while to realise that um, I wasn't hungry. But I was sort of drawn to that really, really tiny little slither of orangey bit in the middle of Jaffa Cakes. Because I found that refreshing. I thought... I'm not actually hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. I don't need Jaffa Cakes. I just need a drink of water. And I know it's a really trivial example. I know it's a trivial example, but I just think often we can try and find other ways of quenching our thirst, whether it's from shopping or money, our job, sex, relationships, like the woman at the well. And these things, they're all good in the right place, but none of them will ever fully satisfy and Jesus says I am the source of life it's in me I am the source of life but he not only satisfies our thirst but he fills us to overflowing that's the offer he satisfies our thirst and then he fills us to overflowing and that's what the Samaritan woman discovered and then as a result she went back and she shared her story in verse 29 it says come and see a man who told me everything I ever did could this be the Christ she was just honest and open she didn't invite people by entering into theological discussions or debates she simply told her story in verse 39 it says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony She went from shameful to hopeful. She went from isolated to connected. She went from ostracized to evangelize her community. And she could never have anticipated the impact that telling her story would have. I had this conversation um, a few weeks ago. I was at the school gates. One of my boys was just starting um, a new school. So I was chatting with this lady, never met her before. And... um, we just got talking as you do and I sort of told her that I worked at HTB and told her about church and she, she said, oh, have you, um, have you heard of the Alpha course? And I was saying that to me. I'm like, I work at HTB. <laughs> and I said, yes, I have. And then she said, have you ever done Alpha? And I said, yeah, I have. I thought she was wanting to sign me up. I said, yes, I have. And then she said, it's just that I met someone and I met this lady and she was telling me her story and she told me about Alpha. And she said, the thing about this woman is that 
she really, she really intrigued me, and I was really impacted by what she said. And so I've been thinking about Alpha. Do you think I should do it? And I was like, yeah, I was trying to be really cool. I was like, well, you know, just, I suppose you could. Yeah, the, uh, the, um, the, the dates are this, and the times are this, and this is the website, this is where you sign up. Yeah, g- g- give it a shot, give it a shot. What's your name again? Um, but I just thought, actually, the lady who had spoken to her in the first place, and who told her her story and told her about Alpha, she might never know the impact that she had on this lady. And the funny thing was as well, one of my friends, he came up and joined the conversation. And he basically, I introduced them and she said, she said to him, have you done Alpha? I thought, she's an evangelist, she's never done Alpha. <laughs> and then he's a bit like, yes, I have. And then basically he gave his testimony, 50 seconds flat, quite a powerful testimony. I was like, that's impressive. You can, I think we all need to learn how to do that. You're a bit like, yes, Emily, do it all quicker. <laughs> um, anyway, it was amazing. But we might never know the impact of sharing our story. We might never really know and fully see the impact that it could have. But I think, what are the things that stop us? What stops us from sharing our story? I've got four things. One thing I think is conversations. Literally the opportunity. Maybe you just think, I don't actually often seem to have the opportunity to share my story. I know for me, I've got an advantage. Because if I work for the church, if you're in a conversation, what do you do, where do you live, da-da-da, usually someone then just sort of says, and what do you do? And I can say I work for the church. And it either kills the conversation and they move away, or it opens it up and you can start talking about, talking about things, talking about a faith. But I think even for us, when you go to church at the weekend, and then you're back at college or at work in the office or wherever it might be and your families but they're not Christians I said what did you do at the weekend actually just saying oh yeah I was at church that's a springboard it's a start to be able to try and get the opportunity to share your story the second thing is lack of conviction maybe you feel like your story is not worth sharing maybe you think my story is not like Claude's or my story is not like the Samaritan woman I don't have a massive conversion moment. Or maybe you think, oh, I've always been a Christian. But the truth is, our stories are always growing. They're always moving. They're constant. And so even what's going on in your life now and how, what you've experienced and what you have felt about God answering your prayers or experiencing his peace or seeing his provision in your life, you know, this is part of your story. So starting from that point as well, Maybe the third thing, lack of, lack of confidence. Perhaps you're fearful that if you were to share your story, that people might reject you. And the truth is, they might. You know, I can't stand here and say, they're not going to do that, because they might. But it also, it says, doesn't it, in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God for those who believe. And what if they don't? What actually if they don't reject you at all. What if actually you sharing your story means that you've had an impact on someone's life, that they've completely changed their life? Maybe it has an impact on their families. Maybe it has an impact for that person and their generations to come. We don't know. But that's what happened with the Samaritan woman. She shared her story and the impact just rippled out into her community. Fourthly, lack of compulsion. Maybe it just doesn't even really cross your mind. Maybe you're sort of thinking, I don't know, it's never even occurred to me to tell anyone my story. I was, I was chatting with this guy once. He, um, 
he was telling me that he was just going to help out at Alpha. He's local. It's not at HGB and he's not at, um, in London. But he was saying he was going to help out at Alpha and his local church. I was like, oh, that's great. That's brilliant. Who are you going to invite? He just said, oh, I'm not going to invite anyone. Uh, you know, the team do that. And I thought, oh, no, you've missed, you've missed the point. And maybe even here you're sort of thinking... Oh, yeah, you know, term starts up on Wednesday. They'll have hundreds of people going around the corner. They always do, you know, queuing up to get in. Toby Flint, he oversees HGB Alpha. Uh, he's the one that does all the invites. Like, he doesn't. You know, he might invite a few people that he knows to come and do Alpha, but research tells us that people come to Alpha mainly, the main reason is through an invitation. It's, they've been invited by someone. That's how the majority of people come. I heard Pippa Gumbel say this week, it was a brilliant reminder. She said, how will they come unless we invite them? How will they hear unless we speak? And I was, that's been sort of running through my head this week. And yesterday I was um, taking one of my boys to his football game, had his football match, and I was taking his coach, the manager, with me as well, giving him a lift. He's another car, so we all sort of bundled in together. And then on the way home, he said, oh, what are you doing now? What are you doing for the rest of the day? I said, oh, I've got to preach at church um, tomorrow, so I need to finish off my talk, really. And he said, oh, what are you speaking on? Um, and I was like, oh, I'm speaking on the Samaritan woman. He said, oh, is that, is that, that good, the good Samaritan? I said, oh, no, it's like a different story. He said, well, what's that about them? I just thought, oh, it's handy. I can do a run-through of my sermon. So, um, so I went for it. I just sort of went for it all. I said, you know, Jesus, he crosses cultural boundaries and meets with us. And even though he, he knows us, he knows us where we're at and knows what we've done. He still extends the invitation. And he's wanting us to say, you know, come and I can give you, I can quench your thirst. Did it, all this kind of thing. I was just like, go for it. And there was bad traffic. So the poor bloke, <laughs> he was there for a while. And then, um, and I said, and the thing is on Wednesday, we've got Alpha. Have you heard of Alpha? I said, no, let me tell you about Alpha. So, so I, told him, I told him about Alpha. I'm saying it to you in a bit of a blasé manner. At the time when I was driving, there's that, there was that hesitancy. It was like, how do I say this? And will I just sound nuts? And, and then he said to me, so if you didn't always go to church, why did you start going to church? So I gave him my testimony. <laughs> and uh, I, just, I was just like, wow, this is an incredible opportunity. But I wasn't quite sure which way to go. And I just told him the whole lot. I just said, look, James, this, you might just sound, think this just sounds bonkers. And I just said, I felt filled with the Holy Spirit. I felt this incredible love and this joy. And, and I'm driving. You know, when you're facing forward, you're thinking, I'm glad I'm facing forward. Because <laughs> I don't know what you think. I don't know what you're going to say. But I thought, I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to. And then I just thought, oh, goodness, you know, this is the start of the football season. We've got a whole season to go he might just go just avoid that parent she's a little bit weird I just thought how will they come unless we invite them and how will they hear unless we speak people came to Jesus because the Samaritan woman invited them but they believed because of who he is we do the invite we say come and see and the rest is up to God it says in verse 42 we no longer believe just because of what you said Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. And I have been reminded again recently, through this story and through this week, how Jesus goes after the one. If you look in the Gospels, the stories, there's so many of them where he goes after the one, the individual. And I was at um, Kingdom Come, our worship and prayer night last week or a couple of weeks ago and we were praying about Alpha and as we were praying about Alpha I felt like God 
spoke to me about Psalm 40 and a word of knowledge. And the word of knowledge was, um, don't give up, and the name Kate. And so I gave it, and I just sort of left it. I thought, you never know with these things. But I gave it with that sense of, oh, Lord, the fact that you've given me someone's name reminds me you're interested in the individual. You're interested in the one. You go after the one. Anyway, Alpha Team Night training on Wednesday, this lady, she comes up to me, and she says, um, I've just recently come to London. I've just recently joined HTB and I'm in a connect group. I was at Kingdom Come the other night with my connect group and I was telling them that I um, have been talking to my sister who's been saying everything, textbook about I'm longing for meaning, I'm longing for purpose, I'm thirsty for significance, my work doesn't satisfy, my relationships don't satisfy. So she says, I'm saying to her, why don't you come and do Alpha? She's interested, but she doesn't want to commit. So her connect group gather round and they pray, and they pray for her sister. And then I jump up, like literally two minutes later, and then stand up and give this word about someone saying, don't give up, and the verse is from Psalm 40. And then this girl says, oh, my name's Kate. And so she as well, who's new to faith herself, was totally blown away by the fact that God was saying, I know your name. I know who you are. I know how you long for your sister to come and come into the fullness of a relationship with God. And she herself is on a journey. But that's what God does. That's what he does. He reaches out and he speaks to us, to us, to you, an individual. He knows your story. He knows you fully and he loves you completely. In Psalm 40, it says this. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned and heard my cry. That's about prayer. That's about us praying and interceding for our friends and for our family. And then it said, he lifted me up from the pit, up from the slimy mud and mire, and he put my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. You know, hearing stories like Claude or the Samaritan woman being lifted up from a dark place, and that God putting your feet on a rock, and giving us a firm place to stand. And then it says, and he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise. This is talking about the abundant life, the everlasting life. When we get a revelation of Jesus, it leads us to worship. And then the, the, the verse at the end of that just says, and many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And that's what I'm longing for. That's what I'm praying for this term. It's not, Alpha's not about just running a course and it doing well and giving Toby Flint something to do. You know, Alpha is about an opportunity that people can come, people who are thirsty can come and explore and meet with God. I love it what Claude said. He said about Rob, his manager, he said, he had everything I wanted. I had nothing that he had. And the thing is, we know, we've got it. If you know Jesus, you've, you've got it. You've got the answer. You know, he's the one that satisfies our thirst. Doesn't just quench our thirst, but to overflowing. I love the vision for this church. I love Nikki and Pippa's vision to see the re-evangelization of the nation. You know, it's a big one. It's a bold one. It's a, you know, big, go, you know, be, what is it? <laughs> what is it? Go big or go home. Thank you. It is. It's go big or go home. You know, the re-evangelization of the nation, that is a big vision. I love that. But also what I love is that it's about the one. It's just about the one. And so I suppose my encouragement for us in these next few days is just to say to God, who's the one? 
Who is the one that I can be praying for? Who is the one that I can share my story? It all starts with the one. Who might God be prompting and putting across your path? I'm Bear Grylls. My favourite way to start the day, the Bible in one year. That's how wild I am. Find out more at BibleInOneYear.org or download the Bible in One Year app.